Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Trash with Waste Dive, a look at some of the most hotly debated news and developments in the waste and recycling industry. I'm your waste diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And thanks for tuning in. This is a special episode of the podcast that we have here. As some of you might know, we were just down in New Orleans for Waste Expo earlier this month. Uh, it was actually Cole's first big industry show, right? Yeah, yeah. First time. I've been to some smaller regional events, but uh, this out- outmatched them all by far. Yeah, what'd you think? It was a lot of fun. I wish I had more time in my hands. It felt like you could have seen, uh, you know, five different conferences all rolled into one. But it was great to meet a lot of people in person that I only ever talked to on the phone, catch up with some new folks, and uh, see all the shiny trucks in the expo hall. Good, right. Well, while we were there, we had a chance to catch up with all kinds of executives from across the industry. And due to this opportunity, we decided to try something a little bit newer for this episode by asking these execs to share a piece of advice Just because this is a competitive business doesn't mean that people can't learn something from each other, so we thought that they'd be able to share some insights. So, Cole, you spoke to many of the eight CEOs that we'll be hearing from today. Any common themes from them? Yeah, like you said, some are more amenable to the idea of sharing advice than others, but across all of our interviews, there were some interesting thoughts on company culture, leadership in new markets, and new ways to engage with the general population. So first up, as you may have seen recently, I sat down with Waste Management CEO Jim Fish during the conference. That interview is up on our website for those who want to read more, but I saved this exchange about leadership and the next generation of employees for the episode. About six months on the job, any, uh, any advice to folks who are looking to transition to a leadership role or, or maybe just started, you know, they're running their own company on any scale? I imagine yeah. there's some surprises. I was asked that kind of impromptu after we rang the bell on Wall Street a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, my answer was that don't manage from behind your desk. Uh, you know, I, I make a point of getting out into the field as much as I can because I learn a lot more out there. And, and I think part of what is important about waste management is, is working on the cultural side of our business. Uh, I think the, the generation that is, is following my generation is the millennial generation, and the millennials are, are much more interested in, in the culture of a company it's not like my dad's generation and called the silent generation where, you know, I'm just going to go work and I'm not going to say anything. And, and if my boss, you know, is a command and control guy, then so be it. I think the millennials have higher expectations and, and we need to be able to, to, to live up those high expectations. So don't manage from your desk, manage from the field and understand what your, what your workforce is telling you. Uh, so as we see the millennials move into management positions, uh, I think it's important that we understand that culture has to be you know, accommodating, I think, is, is maybe the right word, maybe not, but accommodating to that big generation that's following mine. Yeah. Do you think young people are attracted to the industry? Like I think so. I think, you know, one of the things that millennials like is, is working for a company that can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and waste management can make a difference in the world. I mean, it's, it really is a company that can make a big difference. I mean, look, we're the biggest recycler in North America. We're making a difference in the world right now. And I think when you talk to millennials, um, they see that. And so I think it is an attractive business for for that generation. So attracting millennials to the industry or serving them as customers is something that we've definitely been hearing a lot more about. And some of it seems to come down to company culture, which is a topic that can hold a lot of different meanings for different companies. So we also caught up with Waste Connection CEO, Ron Middlestadt, to hear how his company has been working to blend company cultures nearly one year after the Progressive Waste Solutions merger. Uh, Middlestadt said multiple times before that this process was a little rough at first as compared to a smoother merge with Groot Industries earlier this year, particularly in the area of safety. 
You know, what we say is, look, every company, every organization of greater than one person has a culture. You know, family, a business, not-for-profit has a culture. And it's either something you're very intentional about and you know what it is and you, and you have catalysts that drive towards it, or it's an outcome, meaning you're not intentional and it just develops. Um, I would say that Progressive was non-intentional about their culture. Uh, so you, you end up with sort of, it evolves over time. Um, it's an outcome. We're very intentional. So, you know, when we merged um, and we were the acquirer, it was going to be our culture. So we were very intentional about from day one with all their employees of letting them know what is that? What is our culture? Why are, what are the things that are important in that? And why are they important? And why are we going to be insistent about those things in the, in the combined company? And I would tell you, we're not a, that's not for everybody. And those people will self-select out or we will select them out over time. Um, but I would tell you, by and large, most people um, were very embracing of it. They were very embracing. I think people would rather you be intentional and know what the culture is and why than show up each day and try to figure it out. So while the kind of consolidation we've seen with acquisitions by Waste Connections and others is starting to become the norm, there are also still some companies that have intentionally maintained a smaller footprint. Casella Waste Systems, while publicly traded, has chosen not to expand beyond their northeast roots, and it's still run by a member of the Casella family, uh, which started it about 40 years ago. During an interview with CEO John Casella that you can also read on our website, I asked him what smaller family-run companies can do if they want to remain independent rather than merge with a larger company. Advice for family businesses that want to stay family businesses and eventually maybe get as big as you are and go public. You know, how do they, how do they stay independent? You know, it's about the culture. It's about the people. Um, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link from an employee perspective. And, you know, so over the years we've invested in our people. Um, you know, we're a service organization, but as a culture we've got to be of service to each other first and then service our customers. And so I think it is about building a culture and building people and you know when you do that uh, you will get rewarded it's an exciting time and uh, you know through the the good times and the bad times you know if you've done that if you've invested in your people um, you can count on them to you know invest in the company now as you said earlier another common theme in these interviews was entering new markets and being adaptable with your business model and you spoke to the CEO of Covanta which readers can also find on our website and this has been especially relevant for them lately, right? Yeah, it's no secret that expansion opportunities are a bit limited for the U.S. waste energy combustion market right now due to a variety of factors. And so Covanta has been making a big push to deal with more specialized or profiled waste, as they call it. That has involved some minor acquisitions lately, and it's made their environmental solutions division one of the fastest growing in the company, actually. So I asked CEO Stephen Jones his advice on how companies should look at adapting their areas of focus while still keeping their core business stable. The nice thing about the energy from waste business is there's a lot of different levers to pull. So when you look at the P&L and you start to think, think you know, where you can extract additional value from the assets you have on the ground, there's a number of things to, to you know, another number of plays in the playbook is what I'd like to say. So you've got waste, you've got metals, you've got power, you've got ash. And so... Um, we've tried to look at each of those streams and say, you know, what can we do differently around those streams? And in a lot of cases, you're going to have to, uh, you know, make some investments. I think the other thing, and you'll hear uh, a lot about that at, at this conference, is how do you use data in order to make better decisions? There's a lot of data out there 
um, particularly when you look at our plants. Uh, but even even the waste haulers, they have a lot of a lot of intricate processes, whether it's trucks on the roadway or in our, our case, a plant operation. How do you use data to get more value out of the assets you have on the ground? For us, uh, it's around uh, plant operations. Right. We use something called stable operations, which is how do you run your facilities so that your variance in, in production every day is, is tighter? Because variance means inefficiency, so you want a tighter variance, and you want to move that, that, that level of production up. So we're spending a lot of time and energy now thinking about how to how to run our stable operations program on our plants. Interesting. Okay. So it sounds like before you make a big change, always study it and be yeah. You want to the data to drive drive what you're going to do, right? Gotcha. Because you could end up spending a lot of money and not have any return for that. Now, for companies that don't have the name recognition of Covanta, expanding into new areas, whether that's an industry sector or a new geographic market, can be a little tough. For example, FCC Environmental Services is part of a much larger multinational company with a long history and a deep reach. Yet, when they started bidding on contracts in Texas and Florida a few years ago, many people hadn't heard of them and were a little skeptical of their abilities to operate in the U.S. market. I caught up with CEO Inigo Sands to hear his thoughts on making a name for yourself in a new international market. I believe that it's very important to use your experience from other countries and for uh, all the years and citizens and the cities that you are serving, but it's always much more important to learn about the country where you are trying to provide the service. I mean, all experience, all ideas are not automatically exportable to other countries and that could be very challenging if you don't pay attention to the local needs and the differences between the different areas. Even here in the U.S., you don't, I don't believe you have one market. I think there's like, I won't say 50 different markets, but uh, some states are very different to others because of those factors, because of the difference between some of them and the regulatory frame and the um, culture, the weather, and um, the past practices of the, of the past and the market regulations as well. Sometimes, establishing yourself in a new market can be hard, even if it's in your home state. As you may have seen over the past year, we've been following the work of Recycle Track Systems as they've begun to gain a foothold in the competitive New York City market. I sat down with CEO Gregory Lettieri on the expo floor for his advice on making a name for yourself as a new company. Uh, I think what it comes down to, it's, it's, it's a proven recipe. So two years ago, if you asked me the question, I'd say, well, it's about our products and it's about our service and it's about our personal reputations. But what I've seen now is because of the success we've had, we've got really key big logos and big accounts and press releases that people can read and see. Uh, we're leveraging that. So it's about starting small, getting some really good wins, and then the future really kind of dictates itself from there by allowing, uh, allowing your past success to help you kind of grow further. Racking up those past successes to show to future customers can be key, but even for some of the largest, most well-known companies, there are still challenges with entering a new market. We've seen advanced disposal services make moves into new areas recently, so I was curious to ask CEO Richard Burke for his advice on how to approach that growth. But he wasn't too keen on sharing his secrets. So as CEO, what advice do you have for other execs that are looking to enter new markets? I don't want to help them. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is fair. I don't want to help them. All right. <laughs> I'll help them with safety. Yeah. I'll okay, help well then, them with... on that, with people trying to, you know, increase their safety focus in their company? You know, look, I think safety's it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. right? So we say service first, safety always. So because 
safety's not first because it's too important to be ranked. So I think when you're the CEO or a leader in your company, you have to be mindful of the, of the fact that what you set as a priority trickles through your organization. So if you're a leader in this industry, you need to make safety your number one priority. Mm -hmm. More than M&A, more than all the other things. You gotta take care of your people, because if you take care of your people, you get them to go home safe every day, they come back, they take care of us, and allow us to keep running the business and growing. That safety message is definitely something we heard a lot about down at Waste Expo. And as we all know, it's an urgent issue that will continue to be a frequent topic of conversation in the industry. Though, when you think of industry safety, there may be one person who talks about it more than just about anyone else. Our last piece of advice comes from someone I'm sure most everyone listening will recognize, David Biederman, CEO of the Solid Waste Association of North America, commonly referred to as SWANA. While we all follow the industry closely, that isn't the case for the average person. Sometimes this lack of awareness can be compounded by a lack of open communication between the industry and the public, which leads to misunderstandings about the work they do. Here's what Biederman had to say on that. So our industry, both public and private sector, sometimes prefer operating um, without a lot of spotlight on what they do. And solid waste collection and disposal is critical infrastructure in the United States. We think we, we, think we wouldn't be able to live for a week without our cell phones. You're recording this literally on a cell phone. We could live without our cell phones, but if garbage collection stops in a major American city for a week, the, the city shuts down. And what we need to do is talk about how important the work is we do to make sure the public values it properly, to make sure that it's uh, economically paid for, and some of the discussions around recycling need to be in that direction. People should be willing to pay an extra dollar or two to have their recycling picked up because it's an extra truck, it's an extra person, and those, are, those things cost money. And we need to use that image building to also remind people that the person who works on that truck is a human being who's somebody's father, son, or husband, and people need to slow down to get around. People need to uh, be safe in what they throw out in the garbage, not throw needles into the, into the trash and other hazardous material, uh, because that's one of the paths for us to get the waste industry off the top 10 list of most dangerous mm -hmm. jobs in the country. It's through reminding people what essential work that we do, because to most people, we're invisible. They leave for the, at, the, at the beginning of the day, the can is out on the curb, they come home and the, the, the can is empty. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about the incredible process that, that goes through to get that garbage uh, from the point of generation to a properly engineered landfill or a waste energy facility, or if it's recyclables, to a MRF. And those are all good points. I mean, if people don't think about how their waste gets picked up or where it goes, they definitely aren't thinking about the people and the companies that make it all happen. Well, maybe if they start listening to us talk trash every month, they'll start to learn more. <laughs> I'd hope so. Uh, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to our latest episode. To get more industry insight, subscribe to our daily newsletter on wastedive.com. Download the free Industry Dive app, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please feel free to email us at the address on our site or connect on Twitter. And until next time, I'm your waste diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And this was Talkin' Trash. Talkin' Trash.